0: They're small, they're blue, and they're stingy, but they're not a jellyfish. What are they? They're blue bottles, of course. They're a prominent feature of summers spent by the beach, but what brings them to Australian beaches remains a bit of a mystery. Join us shortly as we delve into the weird and wonderful world of blue bottles. Welcome back to Boiling Point, the weekly science show on Eastside 89.7 FM. On the show today, it's your hosts, Hannah and Inna. Hello. Today, we're chatting to Kim Porter and Maxime Arnaud. Kim is an honours student and Maxime is a master's student from France. Both are working on blue bottle research with the team at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, aiming to improve our understanding of blue bottle dynamics, distributions and beaching occurrences. Welcome to the show, Kim and Maxime. Thank you for having us.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Hi.
0: So you're part of the Blue Bottle Watch project run out of UNSW, but before we go into some of the amazing research being conducted by your group, I want to get into some of the common queries and peculiarities. To begin with, if a bluebottle is not a jellyfish, what exactly is it? Um, so they're classified as a siphonophora. That's their class. And
2: they're actually organisms made up of four individual counterparts called zooids. And one of them is their pneumatophore, which is the gas field sail. Um, that they float on top of the water with. The others are the tentacles, which contain nematocysts. They actually grab food from the water beneath them. And then there's the reproductive zooids and the digestive zooids. So some consider them not really
0: animals, more like cells, <laughs> if that okay, makes sense. Yeah. So a collection of cells in a way. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And what is it that makes them blue?
1: Well, I don't really have the exact answer for this one. That's why I wanted to talk with you about all of it. I don't know if if Kim has it or not. Well, personally, I would say it's because they're on the water. So if they're kind of the same color, they are not easily spotted. But I'm not really sure of that. Kim, can you maybe help?
2: I agree. I think it's something to do with camouflage. And I've read somewhere that some believe that it's kind of like UV protection as well as camouflage. So... It's interesting. I think most animals that live on the interface between the surface and the air would
0: be blue in colour. Okay, so kind of a defence mechanism in a way, potentially. Yeah, yeah you could say and, that. Yeah, so so what would eat a blue bottle?
2: Oh, I'm not really sure, to be <laughs> honest. I don't
1: really, I don't know much about
0: their predator. Uh, okay,
1: Maxime, do you know that? What does a um, blue bottle eat, right? What,
0: what eats a blue bottle?
1: Oh, what eats a blue bottle? Um, some kind of marine organisms, such as um, sea turtles or also what is called a blue dragon that feeds on blue bottles and which is kind of amazing because they also steal blue bottle stinging cells to use them for, for their own protection.
0: I think I might have seen one of these on a beach one time. It like had these really sort of feathery little wing type yeah, things. that were super blue.
1: Yeah. Oh, cool. So what are they called again? Um, blue dragons. Oh, or yeah. the same name is um, Glaucus atlanticus.
3: Do they get their blue colour because they eat blue bottles?
1: Uh, I don't really know if it's that or the same thing as we said previously, because they live at the surface Mm. of the water.
0: And so there's this really common myth that when a blue bottle is washed up on a beach, it can still sting you. I remember sort of growing up always being told, you know, don't touch the blue bottles. (laughs) Is that actually the case or is that just a myth?
2: Yeah, that's definitely the case. Yeah. Okay. Um, What I've noticed is that when they're still blue, they can still sting you, but after a while they start to lose
0: colour. Yeah, so maybe about a day or so. Okay. Yeah. And does that mean that the blue dragon can also sting you because it ingests the st- stingy part of a blue bottle?
2: Yeah, I guess that would be the case, but I've never been stung by a blue dragon, actually. Okay. <laughs> I've been stung by many blue bottles. But Have you? Yeah. <laughs> as part of your research? <laughs> no, not not okay. as, part of my, as
0: part of my research,
2: luckily, but in the past, yeah. Yeah.
0: Is it a painful sting? I don't think I've actually ever been stung by a blue bottle.
2: It's very painful at first, but it kind of subsides. Yeah, throughout the day. Yeah.
3: Do you think it's what encouraged you to go into blue bottle
2: research? Um, not quite. But <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't like them. <laughs> yeah, I don't think any Australian <laughs> likes them. No,
0: a bit a bit pesky yeah. <laughs> when you're going for a swim. Definitely. How do you treat blue bottle stings if you get stung?
2: Oh, I'm actually not too sure.
0: Um, it says don't use vinegar. Okay. I think
2: it's just. Heat or ice, but vinegar is like an old-time remedy.
1: Don't no vinegar. No vinegar out there. do <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Don't take
0: your vinegar to the beach. Okay. Um,
1: yeah, I think it's just cold pack or heat. And also, as Kim said, just <laughs> stay far from blue bottles, even if they're dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Important>.
0: <laughs> so I asked before about what eats a blue bottle, but what do blue bottles eat? This is something I've always wondered.
2: Mm. Yeah. What do they eat? I guess, like, just larval fish an and egg. any, like amphipods kind of floating around because, like I said before, they're opportunistic feeders, so they kind of just grab anything that goes past their tentacles. Yeah, they don't have brains or eyes or anything, they don't swim, so they just kind of grab whatever's floating through.
0: Wow, no brains, no eyes. (laughs) Yeah,
3: can't swim. (laughs) Do, Do you know, like, anything about their life cycle? Like, are they born as a colony or like, do different cells just like float together and decide, oh, we want to be like one blue bottle.
1: Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Does Maxime want to have a go at this one? Um, well, yeah, Um. all that I can say is that uh, we suspect that they can live between a few months to a year. But we are really not sure of that. Uh, it's not proven yet. Um. And it appears that it will grow as a colony. Um. Yeah, that's all I can say about it. So we don't have a lot of information about their life hmm. cycle. Does
0: that mean you don't really know how they reproduce either?
1: Uh, Well, uh, as we said before, they are made of um, zoids, what we call zoids, so individual little animals. And some of them are called gonophores, which is used to produce either sperm or eggs, and they shed it into the water. Uh, Each colony is either male or female. Interesting, they're such
0: quirky little creatures. (laughs) I had no idea
1: about the reproduction <laughs> at yeah. all.
0: And I've heard that kind of like humans, you can get these sort of left-handed, right-handed or left-sailed, right-sailed blue bottles. Is that the case? And what determines if it will be a left-sailed or a right-sailed blue bottle?
2: I'm not sure if there's any like determination. Like I'm not, I don't know much about that, but what I do know is that the reason why they have two, like left and right, mm-hmm. is to prevent like a whole population from washing up on shore.
0: So killing a whole population. So half of them
2: would go out to sea, half of them
0: would go to shore. Right. Is that because of the wind? The wind acts on this little sail that sticks out of the surface of the ocean. Yes. And so ones that have a sail going one way will be pushed in one direction compared to that wind um, and the other ones the other direction? Is that...
2: Exactly. Right. The left-handed ones will sail to the right of the wind. Okay. And vice versa. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so it's not like all male colonies will have a left-handed or a left sail. There's a mix between the males and females in terms of the sail orientation, I'm guessing. Yeah, I think so.
2: But Maxime, can you expand on that one? I'm Um, not too sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, no worries. Uh, No, I don't think it could be linked to this. Uh, I talked about male or female, but we don't have a lot of information about it. But what we do know is that um, this handedness is... You can well actually you can spot it. it. It means that their float can be left or right pointing with respect to their body tentacles, and yeah, it means that they will have like different orientations for their floats. So for the same wind, they are gonna drift in opposite directions. And we don't really know like the proportions, but it could be like kind of half half, so that half the population will rock up on the same beach, and the other one will still be in the water to survive. That's fascinating.
0: Sounds like a Pretty good survival strategy, I guess, <laughs> without knowing much about blue <laughs> yeah. bottles. So, when you see them washed up on the beach, there's often a whole group of these blue bottles. When they're floating out in the ocean, are they solitary or do they also float around in these aggregations?
2: um I guess, yeah, it's hard to know because, yeah, when they do wash up, it's kind of they're either in groups or separated all across the beach. I don't know much about the distribution in the ocean, but figuring out, like, the whole point of my research is, yeah, trying to figure out how they do get distributed along the shores and when. So, yeah, that's all I know about that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, before we go into some of your research, I think I have one or two um, more general questions. Is there a prominent season for blue bottles?
2: Yes, definitely blue. summer. Summer. Okay, yeah. so
0: summer is when they will be washing up on yeah, our beaches. Cuz yeah. we
2: get more easterly, northeasterly winds in summer and that's the, they're going to be pushed towards our shores. Okay, so it's um,
0: related to the wind and not this not their reproductive cycle or something like that. Um
2: we don't know if it's related to their reproductive okay. cycle, so that would be interesting to find out yeah. in the future, but we definitely know that it's um due to winds. Okay. So in winter we get westerly winds. Yeah. So they'll be pushed the other offshore. direction. Yeah. yeah okay. Offshore.
0: That makes sense. And where do where are they normally found? Do you get them all around Australia?
2: Yes, I think so. Lots in east and west, obviously, like on the coast. I've been reading a lot of old newspaper articles and not so much down in like Victoria and Adelaide, a lot on the east and west coast. And
0: is that because the water's too cold for them?
2: I'm not too
3: sure, to be honest.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's so many cool research questions Mm. that could be explored with these blue blue bottles.
3: I also have one question before the serious questions. They're also called... Men of Wars, right? Like, it's a very anti- intimidating name. Why are they called that, if you know? Ooh. And why do they have so many names? Are people, like, scared of them?
2: I only know three names for them. The scientific name Blue Bottle and Men of, uh, Portuguese Men of War. Mm-hmm. What's the scientific name? Um, Fessalia Fessalis. Fasalia
3: Fasalis. That's it's a cool Very underwhelming.
0: Oh, underwhelming. I think it's yeah. quite fun to
3: say. <laughs> <laughs> like with uh, like a blue bottle and like a Portuguese man of war, and then you're like Fasalia Fasalis. <laughs> I don't know.
0: What does that do you know what that means? that no. okay. Maxime, do you know what that means? Translating. Uh, you mean the man of war? The Latin scientific name.
1: Oh, um no, I don't really know. Um Zalia no. I'm sorry. No, that's... I can help you with the man war, but not the other one. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, tell us about that. Well, the, actually, the whole name is the Portuguese man and it comes from a sailing warship because that this animal kind of looked like this kind of sailing ship.
0: Ah.
2: Because mm. it's kind of got the ripples on top with the pneumatophore. Mm-hmm. Right.
3: All time people exactly. had and very the... good imagination.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what were you saying, Maxim? Oh, I'm sorry. I was just saying this because we can also find these species in the Atlantic Ocean, so near Portugal, and maybe that's why in this this zone called it Portuguese Minor War and not in Australia.
3: Do you know if um, their numbers are increasing with climate change and like the warming of the oceans?
1: Well, that's that's part of my research. I was looking for that, but you no, know, I don't really have like a concrete answer because we, we lack of data a lot. That's also why we'll, uh, we'll talk about this later, but the whole citizen science project, because we don't have a lot of data.
3: Mm. So is it like past data or also current data on their occurrence?
1: Well, it's all at the same time because we are, as I said it, um, blue bottles are passive animals, so they move around with the currents and the winds. So we use environmental parameters to try to understand their pathways.
0: So on that note, you guys are part of this Blue Bottle Watch project at UNSW, is that right? Yeah, exactly. Could, could you tell us a little bit about this research project? Because as I understand it, it's sort of a collaboration, maybe across some different groups or with some different yeah,
1: institutions. Is that right? Um, yes, exactly. Uh, it's a collaboration between some Australian universities as UNSW or Griffith Griffith University, or also um, the Bureau of Meteorology or the Government and Serve Life Saving Australia.
0: I find that really cool that you've got these sort of industry partners in this research project. What kind of research does the lab um, or your group as a whole do and which parts of this are you involved with?
1: Um, There are a lot of fields um, that the research covers, but the main ones are the numerical modeling, also the lab experiments, and a lot of data processing, and that's the part um, I was working on during my internship. The
0: data processing.
1: Exactly. Uh huh.
0: Could we talk about the lab experiments first? Is that? A- <laughs> yeah, of course. of course. I feel like it's always a re- very exciting part of it. What? Yeah. What kind of lab experiments would you guys do?
1: Well, the lab experiments happen in France because we have um, a wind tunnel there. But as Tools are not prison in France, we are using 3D printed blue bottles and we put them in a a wind tunnel Yeah, and we see how they drift with the wind and we do some experiments.
0: Do you print a whole different range of blue bottle sizes?
1: Well, as we don't have a model, it's hard to build up a model to print because we cannot scan actual blue bottles there. So
0: you just check these sort of 3D printed artificial blue bottles into the tunnel and see
3: what they do when you when you blast them with different kinds of wind.
1: Exactly, wind and currents.
3: That's so cool. And like what is the most important component of a blue bottle model? Is it the sail or the tentacles? Sorry, I'm, I'm maybe not using the right terminology, but like is it the sail or the tentacles like what part determines that it's a blue bottle model?
1: Well, you're absolutely right. Um, this is the good way to say it. Well, both of them play a really important role in this, but some studies have shown that this is kind of a linear combination of the wind and the currents acting on the blue bottles, and also with a factor linked to the shape of the blue bottle, if they have like a big sail on their float or a little one or a flat one, and all of these parameters play a key role in their movements. Interesting. And
0: the group in... Sydney, do they have any blue bottles in aquariums that you do lab experiments with?
1: Well, I don't really know about that because I know that when they're not in the water anymore, they don't survive for a long time. So I'm not sure. I don't want to say something silly. Yeah. Do you know why they
0: don't survive outside Um, the ocean? No,
1: I don't really know. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Maybe it's because they cannot eat anymore, but I don't want to see something. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Interesting. So you can't really reproduce them in an aquarium or anything like that then?
1: I'm not really sure of this. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So,
0: Kim, what uh, research do you do in this group?
2: Um, What do you focus on? Mine's a bit different. I'm doing, so the field-based research, the field-based study is about optimising abundance surveys. Okay. So we know a lot about, um, you know, oceanic models and distributions, you know, worldwide, but there's not been a single one method that we can use to optimize their abundance after they've been washed up on shore and already dead okay. and have already stung people in the water so the optimization part is yeah just trying to figure out
0: what's the most low effort solution to this kind of thing okay and so um sorry if this is a really naive question but why are you interested in the numbers that are washing up um just because the whole point of the blue bottle watch project
2: is to create effective risk prediction for swimmers and beachgoers. Okay. Yeah. okay. So you
0: can be able to say tomorrow there's going to be like a blue bottle swarm or something. Exactly. Oh, exactly. that'd be yeah. so cool.
2: Yeah. So understanding more about how they're washing up on shore.
0: Yeah. yeah. Sure. And and how do you get that data?
2: So for me, um, I'm doing randomised transect and quadrat methods to essentially count the number of blue
0: bottles along the shores. So you'll go to beaches and yes. just count blue bottles. Yeah. <laughs> But right now there's been none, so... Okay, yeah. so it's very much a summer field work type Definitely. situation. Yeah. That's not so bad, is it? Yeah. Spending your <laughs> work days oh, on of the course. beach. Yeah, it's been great. <laughs> that sounds way better than staring at a computer, which is what I do <laughs> most of the time. So how many blue bottles, if you have a... What's what's the term for like a, a you know, all the blue bottles washing up? A, a swarm or a... Swarm? Some people say armada. An armada of yeah. blue bottles, cool. Mm. So how many would you... If you have one of, an armada of blue bottles washing up, how many sort of individual colonies would be in that? Um I
2: think the last time there was a big swarm, there was like thousands and thousands along River Beach.
0: Wow. Yeah. You wouldn't yeah, you wouldn't want to be swimming out going for yeah, morning swim not. and like swimming through that. <laughs> yeah. Pool. Of course.
2: Yeah, but recently there's just been, you know, patchiness in their abundance.
0: Okay. And how close are you guys as a whole to being at producing that sort of end prediction tool? Is that are you, are you still working on that? Is that still a few years away potentially, or is it mm-hmm. something we might see this summer?
2: I'm not too sure because I've only like jumped on as an honors student in the last year, so I don't really know the scope of the whole like how it's moving forward. But, okay. Um, hopefully soon. Yeah. Which <laughs> would be good. Yeah, it's
0: really really fascinating to produce something that has sort of a real world application. And is that why Surf Life Saving is involved in this project? Like, are they really interested in that prediction tool?
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah,
0: yeah. So could you? Potentially in the future, you know, if you're looking up the weather forecast for the beach or something called the surf life-saving conditions, they might have like a blue bottle risk type. Yeah, that's I think that's exactly what they want to produce, yeah. Great, yeah, that would be so useful.
3: Yeah. And you said it's now the off-season for blue bottles, so what are you doing in the meantime?
2: Um, So right now, I'm working on retrieving historical data. So there's this website called Trove, which is the Australian Museum's archive of like historical newspapers and so I'm going I think I'm about halfway through going through about 6,000 newspaper articles from they start in the 1860s to now and I'm just going through and kind of picking up important articles one to expand the data set and two to kind of ground truth current I guess predictions made by models so if we can go back in time and say on this day it was a easterly wind
0: and they brought blue bottles, then we can kind of graph
2: that over time as well.
0: So are you are saying that blue bottles washing up would be reported in newspapers? Yeah, and
2: definitely. Is that, does that still happen today? Not anymore. It okay. kind of stops at around, yeah, 2019 because of social media, I suppose. Okay. But back in the day, definitely during the 60s, 50s, it's definitely yeah. very... Uh, prominent in the newspapers. That's so interesting. You've just got this record of yeah. blue bottle, And I think it's, yeah, it's so untouched. No one's really like considered that type of historical data before yeah. in this
0: scenario. Super interesting. And Maxime, what do you do for your specific research?
1: Well, I, I worked with an amazing data set collected by Surf Life Savers, uh, which covers around 20 years of observations. So I was trying to find if there is a a trend within the years uh, for blue-told presence along Sydney beaches or not. And trying to link this to the environmental variables to see if there's correlations. Cool. And do you have any results from that yet? Uh, Yeah. So far, I found kind of a decrease um, of blue-told presence during the 20 years of observations. In Sydney
0: so they're getting less but, frequent
1: uh, yeah it looks like there are less throughout the years interesting is that because like
0: wind patterns may be changing or something or do you not know why that you're seeing that well difference? I was still
1: investigating but my internship is done so I won't be like really accurate around all of this I don't want to say something stupid <laughs> okay
3: <laughs> results for a future podcast perhaps exactly and is there any indigenous knowledge on blue bottles and are you, if there is, are you inco- incorporating it into like your studies?
1: Well, as far as I know, um, we are not collaborating with them, but yeah, I think it could be an interesting part, but it's from a personal point of view. I cannot talk uh, on behalf of, of the whole team.
2: Yeah, I haven't come across um, any information about that Yeah. So far.
1: <laughs> so you have this citizen
0: science project going on as part of this research project. What does this involve? Could you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, I think that's that's not really
2: what I'm doing. I'm not really involved in that um, citizen science aspect as much as other people in the team. So I can't really speak on that. Maxim,
3: do you have any information? Well...
1: I was not working on the citizen science part but i know that as i said before we lack of data so we are using the web the website maybe you know it i mm-hmm. and so the whole citizen science is that we really need help um, for collecting data and the the project is to um just taking some pictures of blue bottles observed on all australian co- Coast and post it on the iNaturalist site, on the project, which is named Blue um, Bottles in Australia. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if people can just post it, their picture um, and just give some more information as uh, the date, um, the location, and yeah, this will help us access, accessing, sorry, more data to understand their bus, their pathways. Uh, the citizen science is really important because we really need your help.
3: And are you looking for like uh, images of isolated bluebottles or of whole swarms on the beach or boat?
1: Well, it doesn't really matter. All we need is to know if there were bluebottles at this time on this place. And I think there's also a parameter where you can say if you saw like a lot of them or isolated colonies. That's amazing. So what
0: uh, for those listening, what is that website?
1: Uh, the website is on iNaturalist, uh, on. The project name is Blue Bottles in Australia.
0: Okay, you heard it here. Blue bottles in Australia, I naturalist. If you're a keen beach yeah, goer, start taking photos and submitting. That can be involved in a cool science project.
3: Maxim, you're from France, like obviously. How did you came to do this project? What, like, how did you get excited about it? Especially when you're saying that there are no blue bottles in or around France. So, how did you get involved?
1: Well, um, it's from my first internship, because when you are doing your first year of master, you have a first internship to do, which lasts two months. And my supervisor knew Amandine Schaeffer, uh, which is uh, one of the leader of the project, Dr. Amandine Schaeffer. And so I was very really interested in her job, and I never saw a blue uh in real life, because we don't have it in France. And, yeah, I just began to read some of her papers and, yeah, I contacted her because I really wanted to be involved in this project.
3: Um, And as a fellow person who um, is from the Mediterranean area, do you know why the Mediterranean Sea doesn't have bluebottles?
1: I don't really know. We suspect that bluebottles are a tropical uh, species, so maybe that's why they're not present. But we had uh, one episode of bluebottle presence in the Mediterranean Sea but they were from the Atlantic Ocean, and they came up by the uh, Gibraltar Strait. But yeah, it was kind of um, anecdotal episode.
0: Interesting. Very, interesting. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that your group also does some numerical uh, simulations of these blue bottles. Mm-hmm. Are you able to tell us a little bit about that?
1: I was not involved in the numerical modeling part, but it consists of um, using atmospheric and oceanic models to have more of a quantitative point of view of the Google tools and how they behave with uh, different simulations and different wind and current conditions. So like
0: particle tracking kind of work? Exactly. I do a bit of that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I can join your team. team (laughs) Are you looking for a new member?
3: Are you looking for a new job? (laughs) Maybe maybe next year. (laughs) So for our last question, Do you have any advice for budding scientists or for somebody who is looking into blow-bottle research? Uh, You can uh, leave it as broad or as uh, narrow as you would like.
2: Um, Yeah, I'd say just reach out to people, read as much as you can, get involved, especially things like this, citizen science. Yeah, get involved, definitely. And if you are looking into doing extra research, there's a lot going on, so... It's something to be excited about, yeah.
3: So, like, is citizen science a good place to start or to dip your toes in?
2: Oh, I think so. I think our slogan is dip your toes in the ocean of knowledge. I've got it on the back of my phone here. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, so cool. <laughs>
0: so, yeah, that's that's kind of the whole idea. Yeah. Citizen science is a really good first step. Great. Those of you listening in that are interested, go check out iNaturalist. Yeah. Get involved. What about you, Maxime? You got any different advice um, for budding scientists in
1: general? Well, the citizen science is a good start. And if you need further information or if you want to um, have some kind of exchange with this researcher, you can also visit the website, which is Watch at UNSW. Um, you can find it on the web and yeah, you will have a lot of information there. Great. Yeah. Excellent.
0: Well, thanks for being our guests on the show, Kim and Maxime. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: This was Boiling Point, the weekly science show on Eastside 89.7 FM. We'll be back with a new story next week. Bye for now. Bye.
1: you listen up. Here's a story
3: about a little guy that lives in a blue world and all day and all night, and everything he sees is just blue like him.
1: Inside and outside, blew his house with the blue little window and a blue Corvette, and everything is blue for him and his self and everybody around, cause he ain't got nobody to listen, to listen,
3: to listen, to listen. I'm moved, I've been I've been died, I've been